Welcome back to yet another very exciting episode of the Friends Talking Fantasy Podcast. My name is Charles, and with me today, as always, is my lifelong friend and co-host, Dylan. I'm ready to talk some fantasy with my friend, Charles. I am ready to talk some fantasy with my friend as well, Dylan, and not just any fantasy today, because today we are talking about an internet darling and also an international bestseller. Um, This was a book that had the tagline uh, necromancer was it lesbians in space lesbian, nec- lesbian necromancers in space is the what? the tagline that definitely drew us in and drew in <laughs> a lot of readers and how could you not sure. <laughs> be drawn with a tagline like that how could we not yeah. read the book and talk about it and we are of course talking about Gideon the Ninth book one of the locked tomb by Tamsin Muir and uh yeah here we are we definitely are here charles that cannot be denied by Mm-mm. anyone yeah this will be an interesting one to get into this is one that you pitched to me in mm-hmm. our most recent friends pitching fantasy episode and i selected it over the likes of stephen king over the likes of someone whose work we absolutely love and christopher buhlman and mm-hmm. we're here today to dive into this one deep dive. Eventually, we'll be getting into the spoilers. Not quite yet, but uh, it uh, it had a lot to live up to when I chose it over those two books. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it'll be interesting to get your thoughts on it, to express some of mine as well. Well said, Dylan. I think it needs to be said that, you know, Within the bookish community, this book is rather popular, so much so that when I went into the bookstore trying to think of what books to pitch to you, I hadn't considered it. But then when I walked into the store, I'm like, man, these books are being promoted heavily. It's like right in the front, cover facing out, this and that. And then I looked it up and it was rated super high on our fantasies, like best fantasy books of all time. They adjust it every year and people vote and it the positions change every year and what the top books are. And this one was way up there. So I was like, okay, like something is going on here. And I, the, the premise is a great hook as well. And so I was really excited to dive into this one. And of course, the fact that the author is from New Zealand, a, a country that we have both visited and, and fallen in love with, that just was like mm-hmm. the cherry on top, if you will, of reasons to read it. <laughs> Oh, yeah. There's like a moment at least once a month where I'm just like, should I move to New Zealand? (laughs) And and like (laughs) the only thing that really stops me more than anything is just like, oh, that time difference between everyone I know and me would be just brutal to deal with. And also it's like, when would I even get to watch the NFL? Right, like those beyond oh, yeah. times. So it's like That's those true. kind of things that I'm just like, I don't think I can pull it off. Uh, and yeah, you know, being far from everyone, like you know, I'll visit. You know, if I want to visit my parents, it would take forever yeah. to get there. It's like those kind of things. But that country, everything else about it, it's like, oh, can I just go to Auckland and? <laughs> you know, I had that so. thought too. It's like, what if you did like I just like two, three months out of the year, off season, of course, for football. Um, you, you just <laughs> oh, yes. kind of get away every year, and then you come back, you know? So you get it out of your system, 
and you don't miss any football. You don't have to, you know, keep up with too many people too much because it's only a little bit of time and then you're back. You know, I had that thought too. I was like, man, if I had like yeah. a timeshare in New Zealand, not actually a timeshare, but you know what I mean? Like a just a place you could rent and however long you can stay before the country kicks you out too. I don't know how long that, that process works with visas and whatnot, but For yeah, sure. it would be interesting. I mean- yeah, of course. And of course you need thousands of dollars just to get there. <laughs> yeah, and you need to like have a job that's flexible enough where mm-hmm. you can just pick up and leave for a few months. And I'll say, yeah, once Friends Talking Fantasy podcast really hits it big, Charles, and oh, this yeah. is our only thing we need to do for uh, the vast amount of income, of course, that, of that course. this podcast will bring us one day. Then mm. yeah, we can we can pull that off. We could do the timeshare. You can go during football season. I'll yeah, go uh, yeah. When we're in the off season, and or you know we just yeah. set up a studio there. You know, write it off, <laughs> and then all our trips become travel expenses, and we don't have to yeah. pay for anything at that point. That's how you do it. It's a good idea, Charles. Mm-hmm. And we'll and, we'll keep working. And when we on were that. there, if we were both there, then maybe we could reach out to Tamsin Muir, which I, I'm assuming she still lives in New Zealand. Who knows? Um, but uh, I don't know that for sure. But uh, if we were there and she was there, that would just be even better because bring her you know, into the studio. Bring her into the studio. That's right. And uh, we could talk all about Gideon the Ninth, which is why we're here today. <laughs> which is what we should probably do in this yeah. episode. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh. and we've been kind of doing a little bit of spoiler-free uh, chat before getting into the spoiler-filled deep dives in our book discussions recently. And I think that yep. that's uh, a cool thing to do. I like that. And yep. it's Yeah, this is one that, like you've said, Charles, it is massively popular it's one that I, I went to a wedding a while back and i remember i was uh, it was like a wedding that was kind of uh, camping themed i guess it was a little like a lower key and not your know, traditional wedding thing and we were in okay. like the yeah almost like you know like this uh uh room where all these people were with like bunk beds there weren't a lot of people and it was out in the colorado wilderness essentially we saw a bear and what i also saw which ah, wasn't quite as interesting as the bear if i'm being real with you but uh, it was like on someone's bunk bed when i was walking by i saw i was like oh whoa gideon the ninth i was like this has reach where i'm just seeing it out in the world I in the same R-L. place where I'm seeing bears. Like, which, <laughs> I don't know. There's only like, uh, you know, you can remember that some fantasy, even though we talk about all the time and we uh, talk to other people online about all the time, like it's relatively niche. Like you kind of like you'll see Sanderson out there. You'll see Sarah J. Mass out there. But for the most part, like I'd be pretty surprised. Fourth like, wing people are asking mage. me about sure. all the time. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So. Like, let's say we're reading the Powder Mage trilogy, which we're loving. We're reading that as a book that I pitched to you that you selected. It's like, mm. I would be shocked. Like, no offense to Brian McClone or whatever. It's just the nature of writing in fantasy. Like, I'd be shocked if I was walking by and I years. saw, like, yeah. And I just, like, saw the Crimson Campaign sitting on someone's bunk. But mm. this book has, uh, this book, Gideon the Ninth, has had the reach where it's like, oh, you're just, like, seeing it places and i think yeah yeah, internet darling tiktok darling all that kind of stuff that nowadays is how you break into the more uh, 
just general population of not necessarily right. who knows maybe that person was a gigantic fantasy fan or whatever i don't know whose it was but <laughs> it's it's a book that you're you not mean you saw it and you weren't like it. whose book is this like we weren't all together it's just like me walking out of the giant bunk bed place like i went to get something and i was like (laughs) oh someone's reading this anyway (laughs) it's not as important and so just from the from new zealand to the colorado wilderness this book has reach exactly that's a great summary sentence (laughs) and i think then that comes with all these expectations right the way they Mm -hmm. pitched it was like uh it's gonna be this extremely funny quirky romp and it of course has that tagline we discussed of lesbian necromancers in space Mm -hmm. and it's always tough when a book comes in with those huge expectations and huge hype don't you think charles yeah, for sure. And then you dive a little bit deeper into it. And even like the first three sentences of the description, you know, the emperor needs necromancers. The ninth necromancer needs a swordsman. Gideon has a sword, some dirty magazines, and no more time for undead BS. You know, so it's like, okay, now you're thinking like, this is going to be like an adventure romp, you know, like a, like a, just I'm think of like Duke Nukem almost, where it's like I'm here to kick ass and chew bubble gum, and I'm all out of bubble gum. You know, it's like that kind of thing, where it's just like some guy just, or in this case, Gideon, um, going around just killing a bunch of people with necromancer powers. You know, and it's like that sounds just like unabashed fun, and that was like some of the bigger selling points of the book. It turns out to be you know much more than that, and we can get into it and whether or not it lived up to a lot of that expectations is we can talk about that too but that was kind of what i was going into this thinking i was gonna get like an irreverent action driven you know like kick-ass main character killing a bunch of stuff story and we get some of that but um it's a bit more involved yeah it sits in a very weird place for lack of a better way of phrasing it in terms of what even is the genre and it's so it's like gothic horror but also mystery but also like we're a fantasy podcast and it will be called a fantasy book all the time like i guess a necromancer aspect of it is doing that and it's also got like intergalactic travel, so it's kind of sci-fi, but certainly not hard sci-fi. Like we're not getting into the deets of any of the technology or anything like that. And then all of that is coupled with this kind of uh, like internet meme or just like internet <laughs> slang and all this kind of element. And, and that's supposed to bring us a lot of the humor as well. So it's like supposed to be a funny book. And yeah, and like, it's a very hard thing to combine all of that into an amalgamation that is actually enjoyable and reaches a lot of people. And certainly it succeeded in finding that audience, as we've said. But yeah, it's hard to place. And it's also like a book that's yeah hard to explain. And at times I found hard to follow. Yeah, I definitely think it starts off more complicated than I was expecting and we get into that a little bit where it's like oh she's you know trying to run away and then you try and learn the magic system and then you as you're learning the magic system there's like a contest and then the contest turns in you know there's like mystery aspects and then there's yeah. 
you know, all, all these other things that it that it kind of snowballs into. And I don't know, it's ambitious to take all of that on. And and I guess I was expecting a lot more of like a 80s action movie than what I ultimately got. Um, and that's, you know, fine. It, it, it was it was just um, a little bit harder for me to get into it at first. I'd say the end is some of the better stuff. And some of my favorite parts of the book were seeing the magic system grow and develop. And one of the things I'll say that I liked was Tamsimir, like, is introducing aspects of the magic system that almost become, like, clues to a mystery that she's also building up to. And I thought that was very clever. And it was well-conceived enough that there was a really unique payoff at the end, which I would say is the strongest part of the book. So in those cases, it does you know, weave together really well. And we can talk more about that in our spoiler section. But that part I was impressed by. The irreverent humor and like all the other complicated elements to get there. You know, I wasn't fully on board with being honest. Um, but uh, yeah, overall, it's a competent package that I enjoyed. <laughs> I, I liked it. It was good. <laughs> yeah, so I think about something like a, a book we actually absolutely adore which is kings of the wild by nicholas mm-hmm. eames and it's almost like on the surface i guess i'd be like oh this kind of seems like it would be a great fit for fans of something like nicholas eames's work because it's like uh, nicholas eames has this uh, like irreverent sense of humor as well um, and a great he's kind of got this really interesting, unique premise with the like getting the band back together. All these like older, now out of shape D and D style adventurers having to get back together for one last adventure. And then, of course, there's the parallel to like real world '70s music scene that's kind of spread across the the story. And that to me is almost like some of what Tamsin is trying to do with the like, well, it's this story, but it's also like internet memes and slang and stuff that like you can relate to from the real world. And like, there are these kind of elements that, yeah, you'd think, oh, like, wouldn't this be a perfect fit for fans of Kings of the Wild? But I think it's tough because Kings of the Wild, I think, sticks to that one premise and that one idea in a very straightforward streamlined way and then sometimes Gideon the Ninth with all of these different elements going on that I named earlier it yeah at times I'm like oh I don't like I don't know if I can keep track of all this or I know exactly what's going on and I think the the humor is I'm on the same board as you Charles the humor is very like internet humor stuff and I, I guess spoiler free i can just maybe name like uh like one thing such as like uh, the character will say like that's what she said or like say oh i nooped out of that and i'm like mm. i don't know that to me i'm like i know that is a internet culture thing like using those kind of phrases like people do that all the time and the recognition of those phrases is definitely what a lot of the humor leans on and like the yeah it also leans on like saying the b word at the end of a more traditional fantasy line yeah like traditional fantasy line you know b word or mf -er or you know wanna you know like that's (laughs) kind of like clean rating strong doing my best here i mean this book 
the cursing is spectacular, and I do enjoy oh, yeah. the curse. But like some, life some of the humor is to that. Where like I mean, it's like oh it's hard to read the best quotes on our clean podcast <laughs> right right yeah. Lies of Lacklamore has a whole another level of swearing and cursing and dissing right. people that is just transcends language it's beautiful and, and this <laughs> where it comes from is just the fact that it's even in the dialogue is so um, absurd that that's where yeah. the humor is the fact that Gideon sometimes is a character outside of the rest of the characters like. And has the humor that we have, but is in a traditional sci-fi fantasy story. And all these characters are very serious. And then she's like, I'm not doing that mother effer. Like, bones, mm-hmm. biatch, you know, like that kind of thing. <laughs> which is like, is, is like what's like, it makes it. And that's what the humor, the humor is that, oh my gosh, she said it. You know, it's so not what we were expecting. And that's fine once, twice. But when your whole identity is wrapped around that and like the humor is kind of cruxed on that, it becomes um, it's like, yeah, I recognize the community you're plugging into and like Internet memes and stuff, but it doesn't necessarily drive a character or a story for me. Yeah, I think that it's it made it easy to recognize why this book has been such a hit, especially when it's been driven by things like internet marketing or social media marketing, right? Because Mm -hmm. uh, you are specifically targeting people who are online a lot and who are engaging in these communities like TikTok or whatever and using these kind of phrases and interacting with other people in that way. So then you found those people on line and then you get them to read your book and it's like oh this is like being on social media and using phrases that are like recognizable so you're like plugging into this community and appealing to them extremely well and makes it easy for me to recognize why this is so popular why this works so well for so many people but then i guess there's also times where i'm like this isn't really how i talk or how I interact with people and the recognition of it isn't like, you know, making me as happy as those who feel Mm. like they're in the in group of this, I guess. Like, and that's why for me, sometimes the, the humor falls flat because it leans more on the, like, like you said, the irreverence or abruptness of the phrasing, like coming out all of a sudden in this like sci-fi fantasy world, like the absurdity of that Mm -hmm. uh, more than it does like the joke itself being funny. Yeah. If that makes Mm -hmm. sense. And there's even like, it's interesting Gideon at one point there's, there's like a self-awareness about it from uh, Tamsin Muir. Like I'll see if I can, I can find it, but there's a point where she says, like, this is going to call for rigor, Gideon, like Harrowhark says that. And Gideon says, yeah, here it is. This calls for rigor, Nav. And then it says, maybe rigor dot 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 mortis, said Gideon, who assumed that puns were funny automatically. And it's like those kind of things. It's like, all right, yeah, yeah. there is some degree that in which... Like, irreverence that irreverence is very popular. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
and that assumption that puns were funny automatically yeah. feels like it's, it's yeah. part of this. It's this almost book. like there's a serious sci-fi fantasy story happening, yeah. and then Gideon's dialogue would be what's would be the top comment in the video of this story, and yeah. that's what she would say. It's got nothing to do with what actually is happening in the video. So if like if that scene was a video, and then Gideon gets the last word at the end, it's like okay, what's that top comment gonna be? Oh, a pun on bones. Someone commented that it was very clever and funny. Nothing to do that's with the well story played. or the character. And people identify with that. And that was kind of the whole crux of the marketing of this book. So it was a successful audience that she's curating for the book. And then us outside of it kind of, you know, recognize a lot of the, you know, references and the humor and whatnot. But um, I think we just... When we go into the fantasy realm, we're looking for character development and themes and, and, and that's all here, but it's just kind of distracted by this absurdist humor and and yeah. and it, it it was funny maybe a couple times, but it's just not something that really I'm seeking the book out for. And so I think that kind of worked against it in my reading experience. Yeah, I mean, it's... It's one of those things that whether it's a bug or a feature is going to mm-hmm. depend on the the individual reader where mm-hmm. it can turn someone off who's like, hey, maybe doesn't recognize what's going on at all, which, you know, I can certainly imagine uh, some re- like, you know, if you gave this to my dad who you know not not engaged in the <laughs> online community also not engaged in fantasy book reading but it's like if you gave a brandon sanderson book to my dad you give him mistborn if he was willing to sit down and read it like he would understand everything that's happening he would be able to engage with it and probably enjoy it but if you gave my dad gideon the ninth he would be extremely confused <laughs> not like not quite the target <laughs> yeah. demo on that no. one so it's like it's it makes it where if you're someone who completely doesn't recognize it, it it's not going to work as well for you if you're someone who like us is like i i recognize at least some of what's happening here but i don't know if this is like targeting me as an audience member then uh, you know like you said some of it might work and you might crack up at a few of them and then you're like all right this this whole thing is going to make me laugh. Uh, and then, yeah, then there's the community of the people who are super into that and into the internet meme culture and all kind of stuff who are going to be like, this is exactly for me. And that's, you know, that's what's great about <laughs> books and reading is that there's books that work extremely well for almost everyone out there. And yeah, some some people it's not going to work as well but that's okay and, and you know it and that is okay and, and this is actually a rising genre in fantasy right now is like the appeal to internet culture mentality comments section humor coming into a story in an irreverent way um and that mostly comes in through like, I'm thinking of books like Legends and Lattes is an example of this, where it's like um, this book is popular and cultivated a huge audience and a lot of praise for connecting to a modern mentality and audience and this irreverent humor brought into traditional fantasy settings and just the juxtaposition of that 
sparked interest in the community, you know, to, to, uh, to check the book out, you know. It, it, it's, whereas Legends from Lattes is more of a cozy read, we'll say, and Gideon yeah. the Ninth is attempting to be more badass and action-packed and not cozy at all. Um, but it, they're along that same vein, that same trend that we're seeing come up of just like, hello, fellow internet meme people. Like, I I can speak your language and I can kind of irreverently weave that signaling humor into my otherwise um, traditional elements of fantasy in my storytelling and cultivating a significant audience from that. And it's kind of interesting to see how those two things um, come together. Yeah, and I mean, it's the same way with if you're someone who's in reading Kings of the Wild, let's say, and you're not all plugged into the 70s music scene, like mm-hmm. you might read it and be like, oh, this is a fun fantasy uh, romp, but you might just, a lot of it might go over your head in terms of the references. And you might be like, I don't know why people enjoy this quite so much. And it's like, well, uh, someone, especially like you, Charles, and, and yeah. me to some extent, mm-hmm. who's like, uh, you probably picked up on like every reference. I knew enough where I was picking up on a lot of them. It's like that it's exactly hitting the spot. And those, yeah. you know, I don't know what the Fair. overlap is between people who are super into the 70s music scene and super plugged into like current internet culture and slang. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> it, 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 might, yeah, it might not be huge. And then you think like, all right, well, Charles is going to absolutely love Kings of the Wild and the humor and the references. And then the, like, you know, the equivalent number of references being made to like the internet and getting the ninth, like Charles is not as much the reader for that. So mm-hmm. it's, it, yeah, it's interesting to think. And, and I think, yeah, Kings of the Wild is one that, almost comes to mind i'm like okay why did that work so well for me and why did this at least the humor not work as well in in gideon for me and, and sounds like for you too charles although yeah, yeah we're t- we're taking away some from the elements that you talked about earlier that are fantastic like the unraveling of the magic system and it's relevant yeah. to uh, the whodunit mystery going on yeah. and the yeah, you said the ending, which we can get more into. Yeah. One of the so. things I didn't realize, you know, how little I knew about necromancy as like a trope. And I was getting into it, you know, I was like, hey, necromancy is like a fantasy trope element magic style is super interesting. And this is one of the first books I've read that takes a lot of attention and focus on putting some pretty um, hard magic rules to necromancy which was a unique experience i feel like sometimes a necromancer character comes in and they're a bit mysterious and they reanimate a corpse and like they've got this specific flair to them but in this book it's very much like a scientific process of learning how to be better and more powerful and uncovering like bigger mysteries that these gods have created you know and so trying to solve puzzles by making breakthroughs in your understanding of necromancy. It was really interesting and kind of redefined the like character archetype for me in a way that I was enjoying quite a bit. And I was like kind of appreciating the art of necromancy. And it's like, you know, it's not a lot of, not a lot of 
authors are making necromancy the focus of their story. I, there's tons out there, but it, it's I, I think this is one of the more mainstream ones that we've seen in a while. Yeah, that's a fantastic point, Charles. And I think you mm. put eloquent words to something <laughs> that I was kind of picking up on subconsciously, but wasn't able to really think uh, to say out loud Mm -hmm. it was like oh yeah that is a really cool element of this and it's like necromancers need to get their moment like we need more necromancers and you'd think maybe this would inspire it in the same way that something like you mentioned legends and lattes like i think that has been pretty much like a seminal work in this new cozy fantasy mm. subgenre that now you're seeing lots of but it's like i don't know where, where are the necromancy books following in this wake and i i would love to see more of that because yeah you said it so well which is necromancers are definitely a thing in fantasy and have been for a long time especially in like dungeons and dragons and Mm -hmm. all that but it's like yeah i've hardly read any books where necromancy is so prominent or at the forefront of what's going on for sure because tamsin almost goes down like the mistborn route of uncovering the secrets of necromancy you know like they're uncovering the um secrets of the magic system in Mistborn, you know, Allomancy and all that. And it's fun. It's fun. And it's it's not something that I've read too much about. I'm like, I'm realizing I don't know a lot about necromancy and like the tropes you can pull on from that. I only know from playing Diablo 3, Necromancer was my favorite class to play because you could just have undead guys that you could create and fight with you. But that's it. That's all I really knew was like, okay, we're reanimating dead stuff. And there's lots of dead stuff. So you could potentially reanimate a lot of cool things and this goes beyond that of like okay where are we really generating our power from and like how can we like actually uncover some of that and what's really happening if with the mechanics of reanimating something or you know cheating death or stopping death or encourage promoting death whatever it is uh so it was, that was my favorite part of the book and i think tamson does that really well yeah, I will agree with you there, Charles. Well, shall we get... This is probably the longest I think we've ever done, like, the spoiler-free <laughs> part of the episode. But I I hope that that, for a book that's really complicated, actually, in the end, in its premise and what it's trying to do, and I would say yeah. ambitious as yeah. well, uh, and a book that I think it's... The way it's presented a lot of times is just like lesbian necromancers in space. Now read it. Like I hope this (laughs) provides something that I don't feel like I really knew heading in as much. Like Mm -hmm. a a spoiler-free discussion. I'm sure there's plenty of great reviews of it on Wine and on Goodreads, all that kind of stuff. But uh, at least adding our voices to the like, hey, is this a good book for you if you haven't yet read it because i guess in retrospect i was so lured in by the premise of lesbian necromancers in space uh, i didn't necessarily like go deeper than that in terms of trying to decide if this book was for me and i think yeah hopefully this this will be helpful for some folks 
well said, Dylan. And I and I think now that we've given a very generous spoiler-free discussion around the book, I think it's finally time to to give one of your famous spoiler warnings and we can get into some of the more intricate parts of the story. Let's do it. All right. Well, if you haven't yet read Gideon the Ninth, then you better get out of here because we're about to have a no holds barred conversation. Go on, get, um, get, <laughs> get on, you stupid animal. Yeah, it's like your old yellow. Go on, guy, yeah. get out of here. Yeah. We don't want to spoil it for you. Yeah, sorry, but we no, love you. I, I'm not calling you, the listener, a stupid animal. It's a reference, but it's uh, it's an it's apt like, comparison because the boy loved the dog and only yes. driving him away because he doesn't want him to come to harm. You know, exactly. And the dog doesn't understand, so you gotta like be a little mean to it, throw a rock at mm. it. It's very very sad scene actually. It's a very emotional. Oh, yeah. And nothing makes me more emotional than letting everyone know that they do have to go now if they don't want Gideon the Ninth spoiled for them. Yeah, Mm -hmm. now's a good time to turn this down in your headphones if you're someone who falls into that category. Well said, Dylan. And here we are in the spoiler-filled section. And I'm getting kind of emotional over thinking about that scene (laughs) with, uh, I think it's Old Yeller, right? I mean, it's just so sad. Beautiful yeah. at the same time. That's, um, <laughs> I was just talking to a friend about how like the '90s and like uh, aughts were were really like dying or dead dog forward. Oh I my felt gosh! Like, yeah, didn't yeah. it? Yeah, and, I mean that was a. I mean, there was Marley and Me. There was yeah. Not to spoil Marley and me, but if you don't know, Airbud didn't die. No, he didn't die, but... I I mean, I didn't watch all the sequels. It wasn't like, you know, I watched the the early ones. I forget what sport. Was it basketball? The first sport that Airbud... Because, like, Air Jordan, Airbud, I guess. Like, so, yeah, I watched that one. Like, once Airbud started to get into, like, more fringe sports, like when they were trotting (laughs) Airbud out there in skates to go play hockey... I wasn't yeah. necessarily like, oh, I need to watch like Ice Bud. Overplayed, but, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I don't know if Ice Bud exists, but it was, you know, well, once it got de- deeper, but hopefully. The Air Bud Air Cinematic Bud Universe. Through, yeah. <laughs> yeah, hopefully Air Bud lived through. Oh, dude, there's a ton. There's, I remember there um, were a lot. Golden Receiver, which is football. Oh, okay. World Pup, which is soccer. Nice. Um Spikes back with volleyball. Volleyball. You got Air Buddies, which is a bunch skates. of buddies. Did they ever S- strap skates on the dog? <laughs> hmm. Well, there's Snow Buddies. Ooh. Let's okay. see what Snow see Buddies it. is. Is it skiing? Snow Buddies. Or snowboarding. It is the second. Is Frosty Arctic dog sled race? Not quite the same. Uh, um, they have Space Buddies. Wow. Wow. Well, they're you know making movies what, in 2013. Who else are space buddies, Super Charles? buddies. You know who else are space buddies, Charles? Who? Harrow, Hark, and Gideon. Because we should Whoa, probably. Aren't you glad say. all of you folks that that stuck around for the spoiler part and immediately were met with like five minutes of Airbud discussion without any spoilers? What a say. This guy's a professional. Yeah. You know, right, he really brings it back. So let's yeah. talk about it. You know, um, 
I, I think the beginning of this book, it was tough for me. I'm going to be honest because all it's like, she's trying to escape. It's like, okay, escape from what? Like, we'll figure it out. Um, and then she ends up going and making a deal with someone to enter a contest. She loses the contest and then she gets flown to a thing. And then there's a, another like contest and she's pretending to be something she's not. And it's like a lot of stuff. And you're like, so what's the story now? What's happening? Where's my lesbian necromancers in space? You know, it, it was a bit of a rough start for me. I don't know what your experience was like at the beginning. Yeah, I would say the beginning feels light on the necromancy and light on the i guess like lesbian romance at least mm-hmm. aspect of so it, i guess it can be a bit tough when you're like lesbian necromancers in space and then you're like wait are they in space wait like what is there besides the nudie mags to indicate uh, yeah. like <laughs> the, the uh, lesbian necromancers in in this but uh, yeah it's uh, it's an it at least gets going quickly. I'll give it that. It's a, uh, they get them over into the contest, but you've got a lot of words being thrown around quickly. They're like, uh, you know, like cavalier and stuff. And it mm-hmm. might not be as straightforward in explaining like, uh, cavalier, every cavalier. Like, yeah. It's like, all right, there's a lot being thrown at me. And I guess we're, you know, we've read a lot of, fantasy so we're pretty used to getting words thrown at us that we don't quite understand yet and you figure it out over time but it is a little jarring and i think a lot of what we found was our expectations for this book didn't always align with what ended up happening so i think a lot of it is it does lean pretty early on on the humor like you get some of those uh, irreverent humor lines early like you have uh, <laughs> you have I'm looking back on my uh, quotes but uh, you have these moments like uh, her describing Harrowhark and uh, like Harrowhark talking about sh- shoving things up uh, her proverbial butt uh, and it, it, oh, it's like, like you couldn't spell it, even if I shoved the letters up your yeah. butt or something like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember yeah, that line. You've got those kind of moments, and, and that is funny, even if some some of the other stuff. It's like, can you please stop shoving words up my butt? Uh, you get those <laughs> kind of moments. So a taste for the humor pretty early, and uh, yeah, it's uh, is it a little tough to get into? I I think at times, but. Other people might be like, oh, as soon as I heard that line about shoving words up up one's butt, I knew this was for me. Yeah, (laughs) right, right. And yeah, to me, the story doesn't really kick off until we start investigating how to, you know, unlock lecterhood. And I first had to learn what lecterhood even meant and then... You have nine houses and they all have multiple characters. And so you're looking at 18 plus characters and there's like a priest character who's setting all the rules, almost like Clue where everyone's in the house. And it's like your goal is to survive in the house. Uh, Then you unlock the inheritance from your mysterious uncle. You know, like that was kind of the vibe at the beginning of this. But the premise was unlocking lecterhood and it, it, it... 
you know, and then of course she's like takes a vow of silence. Like it's there's so much going on. She has to pretend to have a vow of silence yeah. in front of people, and it's just like a lot, a lot, a lot um, going on. And I feel like a lot of it wasn't necessarily servicing the characters or the story. It was just kind of the need to create a mystery story and also create a complicated hard magic system in order to solve that mystery that caused all of this stuff to have to happen at the beginning and it, it just came together a little slow yeah I, I see where you're coming from with that i i do think the valve silence aspect of it i'm not entirely sure how that served the plot in the way like it all does is it makes Gideon a little bit more stuck in her head and a little bit more isolated and I guess a few funny moments come up out of that but then she just like starts talking and kind of no one like cares that she (laughs) started talking or wasn't talking before I guess right (laughs) and it's like noted like I'll I'll say the like Muir is always self-aware about mm. what's happening because it is there are parts where she starts talking and it's like uh, they didn't even mention that like she started talking out of nowhere so you've got that but i i guess it's building that harrow hark is kind of making gideon like isolate herself because we have this dynamic at first between the mm. two of them that they they really hate each other, I guess, mm-hmm. is the best way mm-hmm. to put it. And Harrow is just trying to, like, force Gideon to the side. Like, Gideon is basically a prop for Harrow Hark at the start of this in Harrow Hark's mm-hmm. desire to become a lector. And it's like, oh, I can just, like, lock. Like, I need someone to walk around with me that is, I can call my cavalier because otherwise I'm not allowed to come to this. But otherwise I'll... I'll just put her to the side as much as possible. That's a start. Might as well be uh, uh, the <laughs> the other necromancer that was just like animating a corpse the whole time. Yeah, <laughs> like right, the seventh. Right. Just like, oh yeah, I was just like, I didn't have a cavalier, so I just had to animate a corpse and pretend I had <laughs> one so I could be here. <laughs> right. Which again is a funny concept because you've, like the whole premise is everyone's a necromancer, so why not have like trying to pass off a dead corpse as a living human yeah. for the whole time? There are some interesting mystery elements to this. Like it feels like it is a mystery book, but it's really not presented as one or kind of framed as one at all until about halfway into the book. It's like I feel like if this book from the beginning was a mystery, then maybe we would have been along for the ride for picking up some of these puzzles. You know, I I didn't realize what was happening until like all of a sudden these characters are at each other's throats and, and start dying and, and, and the stakes start going up that you're like, Oh, is this like a who done it? What is the real conspiracy here? Which is like, why did we keep that a secret? Why do we not want to make this a mystery book? Why do we want to make it a, why do we want to present it as an irreverent, action story when it's really not you know so that was to me um my favorite parts but also the parts i'm like why didn't we just focus on this and kind of put the other stuff 
aside? Like, why can't this story start a little bit more closer to when we all go to this temple and this planet and we're meeting all the characters and then go from there, you know? Because that was really the strength of it. She builds yeah, a great mystery. I'd read a mystery book from Tamsin, no problem. Yeah, and I think that the the stakes and all that become higher and more interesting in the motives of the characters, motivation, all that kind of stuff. Because I think character motivation really drives interest in the story maybe more than anything else. And it's like at the start of the book, it's like, okay, so Gideon wants to escape, I guess. And going through all Mm -hmm. this is like a roundabout way for her to theoretically escape but you like barely are thinking about that when you're reading it and like you mm-hmm. barely care or i barely yeah. cared about like gideon's desire to leave the ninth house i don't even know what you would do otherwise so it's like that wasn't drawing me super in harrow has the motivation of becoming a lector but you barely know why until toward the end like and even then it's just like her being like oh like our house sucks right now and i want our house to return to its former glory and and then it becomes more interesting when you're like oh she basically is like a bunch of sacrificed people (laughs) walking around like a a a war criminal before she was born like that those elements are interesting but they come so much later so when they're just like at the start they're going through these uh trials or what have you and you're like wait why do i care if they succeed and gideon herself barely cares if they succeed so it becomes more interesting when you're like oh gideon actually likes some of these people and we as readers actually like some of these people and then they just start dropping dead and you're like wait what why like i didn't know that was going to happen and i also want to know why that's the case and how we can stop it because I don't want more people to die. And that's where finally it's like, oh, now I'm drawn in. Now I care about what's going on here. And it takes a little while to get there. For sure. I think the beginning, that whole concept of for escaping, it doesn't do anything for me either. And it's kind of confusing because it's like, I get that when you have a main character who's like completely irreverent, you know, that she would see the plot coming and just be like, no, thank you. I'm going to walk away. That can be kind of funny and irreverent and true to the kind of story that she's creating. But we don't even know what the story is. And like, it it doesn't super play a part. They mention like, oh, the ship exploded. They knew you were leaving and they targeted you. Isn't that mysterious? And you're like, what? Like, um, okay. Um, and then they're like making all these deals and then it's like, oh, now you're going to be a part of the story. And then she's like, OK, I will be. And she never once tries to escape again. You know, I feel like we've had characters yeah. before that are always trying to escape and they will. Any chance they get, they'll just punch someone in the face while they're mid-sentence or, yeah. you know, they'll have to be restrained so they don't run away. You know, I'm like I'm thinking of a character like Pharaoh in First Law or a character like the main character, a Kane in Heroes Die, where it's like they will not play along with the plot like you expect 99% of characters in a story to do. They're going yeah. to like do their own thing. And that can be funny, you know, and I think that was what this book was trying to do at the beginning. And it's funny, but it's also just like it felt like a separate idea to yeah. the main idea. There's something about gideon's devil may care attitude mm-hmm. which makes it harder if you're trying to get into like uh, okay well what are 
these characters' motivations, what are they trying to achieve? And it's like, even about the escape thing, like we hear that Gideon has made all of these attempts, uh, but like they haven't worked. And also it's like if Harrow keeps uh, thwarting Gideon's efforts, why all of a sudden do we believe that if Gideon serves whatever role she's supposed to serve in the trials, that Harrow will just be like, all right, now you can go. Like, it would be it one thing if it was like, why. oh, Gideon, you're trying to escape again. And she's like, yeah, yeah, I'm just trying to escape again. It's what I do. But she was so committed. She's like, this is the time, I believe. I'm planning so carefully. Yeah. I'm going to escape. But it was more just like, like, why do you keep trying? You know? And she's like, eh, it's because it's what else am I going to do? You know, it's just you and me <laughs> f- around and, ooh, messing around in this. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> this that book down, brings it out in me. Right down that time stamp. <laughs> this this yeah. book brings it out in me. Um, but. Uh, yeah, it's like, you know, what are we doing here? And it's, it's, it could have had more of that chemistry between the characters, but it was played so serious. Like, she really thought she was going to escape and she was so desperate and this was her grand heist. And then we just put that away, put that aside. And it's fine. I mean, I get the direction, but ultimately for me, it's like I was a little confused. Um, but, the best parts are yet to come. It's it's yeah. really the the necromancy and the the really interesting way that Tamsin adds clues to solve a mystery to get to the ending, which I thought was like the a bold ending that I actually quite liked. So in a lot of ways, this book is really creative and succeeds. I I, just, I guess to me, I like those parts that I'm like, let's just go there faster. <laughs> Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think it does pick up once we're at the point of the who done it and it's also there's a lot of reveals at the end and action mm-hmm. at the end and you're like, "All right, now we're really cooking with gas here." Yeah. And at the same time, then it's like, "All right, well that's the last 10% of the book." So mm-hmm. a, a strong finish is hugely important and Tamson definitely pulls that off and and does not pull punches with that ending like anytime you title the book name of character and that character dies at the end especially yeah. in the first book of a trilogy yeah you've done something pretty bold as you said yes. and i think bold is one thing but bold and satisfying is another thing and i would say that tamson mirror does a good job of providing bold and satisfying with the end of this book yeah i would agree it's it's a really clever thing because sometimes when you're explaining a complicated magic system it can be not fun it can be annoying but in this book it's just layered and presented really really well and then when you put that alongside like there's reveals and a mystery that Tamsin is also weaving at the same time it's kind of creative and ingenious to as you introduce the magic system you're also kind of bringing the mystery to a crescendo at the same time because it's like oh you know there's clearly some kind of connection between the cavalier and a necromancer oh the necromancer can use the cavalier's life energy to enhance their powers oh you can kill someone and use their soul oh now you can kind of cheat that to make an infinite 
battery loop of the cavalier you know it's like it layers really well and there's challenges in between that these characters are pushed to figure them out and and then it also adds this mystery that there's more to the emperor and his and his lectors than we're led to believe and it's all just kind of a manipulation of something horrible after you're made to form such a strong bond with the cavalier you know and and then gideon flips that on its head it, it's all there you know it's all really yeah. interesting and creative and thoughtful and interesting and it's a new element to necromancy that i've never appreciated before so all of that is like really really well done i totally agree and i think it's it's set up really well through another thing that the author succeeds at which is uh, the slow burn development of Gideon's relationship with Harrowhark mm-hmm. like i think it's uh, it'd be easy for them to pretty quickly start to get on the same page but instead we get a very natural progression of how their relationship as uh, necromancer and cavalier forms where like it's not like as soon as they get there suddenly harrow's like well we might not like each other but we're gonna have to be together all the time working together unlike the allies just yeah it's like no just stay in the room and never ever talk to anyone is you're so neat and i'm so messy start yeah (laughs) (laughs) odd couple couple clean up your nudie mags i'm trying to get some work done Charles, we're always chopping it up about the odd couple on this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Remember the last time I was like, where we're like, oh, why Why do I know about the odd couple? Do- <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, that's right. We did talk yeah. about the odd couple once <laughs> like, before. Right? Yeah, we did. That's just one yeah. of those classic, classic sitcom tropes, you know. And you, Tamsin's having fun with that here with and, uh, uh, Gideon and Harrowhawk. Yeah. Uh, Garrow and Hideon Hawk. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah. Garrow is the couple name, celebrity couple name. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, I'm sure there's there's shipping going on there. Mm. These two. I thought they would pretend. I thought it'd maybe be enemies to lovers, but it was more enemies to friends with maybe some sexual tension underlying that thing. But we all know Harrow is in love with a corpse for some reason. Which I guess what could be more appropriate for a necromancer. (laughs) But we, yeah, uh, we get an interesting, I think it's really well done, is the development of their relationship. And then it's like Harrow, it starts as like, uh, you know, in Community Episode 1, where Jeff says to Abed, he's like, uh, Abed, I see your value now. Like, oh, yeah. and then Ahmed is like that's the nicest thing anyone's ever said to me like after he like you know Jeff is trying to get with Britta or whatever and uh, Abed just like uh, knows everything about her and Jeff yeah, uses yeah. it to like get her in the study group so like, Ahmed I see your value now uh, I think that moment is kind of what happens where Harrow like needs Gideon's fighting skills and then she's like uh Nev, I see your value now. And <laughs> <laughs> right. it, but it works from there then toward progression to like, oh, I actually just like you and we need to trust each other. And in fact, like my hatred for you comes from this like 
you know, this messed up history that we have and you're kind of a walking reminder of my failures. And yeah, and it's interesting. The reveals are very strong, I think. Like the reveal around Gideon and uh, Harrow's history and how Harrow's parents died by suicide as a result, uh, in some ways, of the actions that Gideon takes, the way that Gideon holds guilt over that, the way that Harrow like sees as her fault and then even just the yeah the reveal of hiro we talked about a little bit being born through sacrificing everyone and then a little mystery that i don't think is ever fully solved so i'm sure this comes through in the following books of like why didn't gideon die when Mm. uh like all the kids were gassed if i'm remembering correctly as a sacrifice yes. to create harrow hark so we got it's like i think maybe that's where tamsin mirror like most succeeds is like the mystery and the reveals and a lot of that isn't like what's at the forefront of the way this book is sold to people mm-hmm. and i don't know maybe it would be better i don't know i don't know who am i to say it'd be better because this book has sold extremely well and reached a lot of people who love it and how do you do better than lesbian necromancers in space as your elevator pitch but it's yeah i think no yeah you're right lied elsewhere i i would agree i think their backstory is really good and the tension between the two is really genuine and interesting right because you've got the head of this dying house who was created against, you know, un, like she didn't get to choose how she was born into this world. Right. But then when you find out and that Gideon is just this constant reminder of that, you know, and then Gideon on the other side who grew up alone and you know thought Harold Hark was a friend and then they grew apart and then became rivals. You know, it's a really interesting, intimate backstory. And I always love, um, when authors are willing to do like intimacy within friendships that's yeah. not romantic you know like he's like lord of the rings to me is a great example between frodo and sam of like their relationship their friendship is Wait, intimate. that's not romantic <laughs> people like to ship that <laughs> I was it is watching it wrong <laughs> <laughs> people like to ship that it is but i think it's a bit um mis you know i think it's kind of overshadowing a more serious no, point he's trying to make of like hey when you are in the trenches with someone and you experience the most horrible things like you form an intimate bond and it's not like oh you're lovers now it's just you're connected in an intimate powerful way um and it doesn't have to be romantic and in this you're not entirely convinced it was romantic or not you know it, it can be and that's fine but there is that intimacy in this relationship and part of it comes from its complication and the rich backstories that are brought into it i actually thought the development was very good i just feel like they went they did a 180 in one scene towards the end and they had all these pieces to like make it a bit more part of the story overall i just feel like there's one scene where they're in the bath and then all of a sudden they like each other and then now gideon's willing to die for her in, in like in the next day you know, I don't know about you, mm. but I'm not going from this person's my enemy. I'm trying to escape them to I'll kill myself for you <laughs> in a very short amount of time. It's it's kind of abrupt, but that's um, it, it. All the pieces are there for sure. Did we need more scenes? No, like the I so I'm OK with it. But it's one of those things that I'm like, OK, like 
she had this really creative relationship here. It, it, it's one of the stronger parts of the character development of this book because there's so many characters. Uh, those two are definitely very strong. I wonder if it could have been, that's a great point, Charles, and one I didn't really think about is like she went so quickly from the, in terms of like literal days or what have you and how long this was going on, she went extremely quickly from uh, I hate you to I'll die for you. And yeah, I wonder if it could have been stronger if maybe the route she went with those characters was like, well, if they were extremely close as kids and Mm -hmm. then the incident happened with the parents dying by suicide and then like you know so it's one of these relationships that have that like underlying love that ranges back to childhood which is so strong right and then it's like well we see kind of still loved each other as you know as friends but like we had this love for each other that was underlying all the hate because love is, you know, love is closer to hate than, like, indifference is the true opposite of love, all that kind of stuff. Right, right. And then we have the, like, ah, now I'm truly willing to acknowledge I still hold that love for you and I'm on to die for you. That might have been better. Wow, I don't think that's so. very powerful. And you get a sense of that with Gideon. Like, Gideon, as much as she's very crass and trying to escape and being irreverent and indifferent, she does have a heart of gold. She does end up... Oh, yeah like really emotionally connecting to a lot of people in this story. And she's willing to do right by a lot of people in this book that she just meets and she wants to do the right thing and she wants to be protective. And she does have that capacity, that heart of gold, if you will. So it's there the whole time. So like I can ship the idea that she would find a way to suck because her own self-worth is very low, but she wants to belong more than anything and is looking for that connection and finds that sees the good in people and latches onto it for that reason. So that is all there. So you can see why she would do something like sacrifice herself at the end. Um, But yeah, to your point, like there, there could have been other ways to connect it. Not that I would suggest that Samson changes it, but um, to, to me, when I think of like setting up and paying off something like a sacrifice, like that's a, big deal especially for someone who didn't care and was trying to escape you know four days ago to or whatever the time period is to now killing myself on your behalf it's a big it's a big swing you know and i and i i think gideon's a great character and it's all there um i just was kind of like yeah whatever it's kind of rushed <laughs> not the fu- not the main <laughs> feature of the book <laughs> for something that's like where lesbians is a big selling point and the relationships are big selling. i'm like where is all of that in this you know there's some intimate think, friendship moments but yeah it is interesting because i think the so the lesbian necromancers in space aspect of it makes you think that there's going to be a very strong romance through line in the mm-hmm. book, I guess that I don't know. That's what I kind of assumed, and I was like waiting for that mm-hmm. to exist. But I think what it really means now that I've read the book is more the queer normative aspect mm-hmm. of it, mm-hmm. where it's like these characters. It feels like almost all of them are lesbians in the sense that, like, and it's not questioned. 
like when you have Gideon developing feelings for, you know, now misguided feelings for uh, the seventh necromancer who is actually the whole time been like a lector pretending to be a <laughs> like normal necromancer who's mm-hmm. super like ill. Uh, it was uh, Dulcinea Septimus. You kind of get the. Sorry, I'm just. Did you realize that like almost all the names are like plays on the on the number of their house? I did not. So it's like you've got it, the thirds are Tridentarius. Uh, you've got Deuterus is the second. You've got Quinn, which I think uh, is like quince is 15 in Spanish. Um, mm. Sextus like, uh, is six. Mm. Like, Interesting. Septimus is seven. Uh, and Octakisseron is eighth, like Octa, <laughs> Octagon, all that. So that's interesting. Mm. I just kind of realized that as I was saying this. But <laughs> either way, um, you've got the queer normative element of just like those feelings are developing and it can kind of just like uh, it's not addressed in the way of like having to explicitly call like, oh, these characters are gay or what have you. It's kind of just right. – yeah, the queer normative element is more what they're getting at. Lots of women characters and them developing feelings for each other. Like, it's not explicitly addressed that uh, it's right. just assumed like, oh, yeah, this is part of what happens. Right. And I, But there I is still that like intimacy that, wanted, and there is still that, like, yeah. emotional vulnerability all couched around the relationships that they've had that are, like, lesbian relationships. And then these two people... They're not a romantic couple, but they do develop a bond and a sisterhood, if you will. So, yeah, it's there. Mm -hmm. That's well said. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll also say as I was getting through the all the houses there, I think that one of the places where this book could have been stronger and maybe could have gotten into it quicker is like, did there have to be? nine houses all with their own <laughs> right. necromancer and uh, it was hard for and cavalier it was hard for me to get invested or figure out who everyone was or remember it's who everyone was and what house like i know we have the i think it's pronounced dramatis personae personae i don't know yeah yeah uh, but yeah. the we have the list of characters and that's you know that's something but especially on kindle like i read this one on kindle and that's like annoying it's not like easy to flip back in the same you can like you can yeah you a few can things, but, but it's, it is annoying it is annoying compared to like having a book i was listening on audiobook quickly. i'm screwed i'm like i'm, oh, yeah, I'm driving i'm like, not flipping back oh, to anything yeah. <laughs> <laughs> audiobook yeah you basically cannot use yeah use that tool you've got the author's performance the the narrator's performance of like hopefully i can keep these tones separate (laughs) that's a big (laughs) ask for a narrator to have all the different voices for all these characters and they appear to various degrees and it's like uh i don't know gideon the ninth sounds way better than like gideon the sixth i guess or whatever yeah, but fourth, it's like the... yeah the well yeah three, the four houses might have been a little small but six i feel like that's a 
That's a nice number. Like, because you mm-hmm. need to kill them. You need like a. That's I think. Yeah, you need the benefit a of having because if you just have like sure. yeah. So if you just have like four, like you've already killed like two of them right away, and then there's just three. So I think six would be a good number, uh, and yeah, it's just there's too many, too many in too short a time to follow all of it. I think that was something that could have been stronger, but you know, you gotta be like Gideon the Ninth. That sounds sounds perfect. I mean, the title of the book is is probably more important for selling it than it is like ninety percent of what you do inside of the book. For sure, that's not, for sure. that's not fair to say, but you know, it's a huge part of. It's of a great title, and it, it it's not just for the title's sake. Like she does write this whole thing, but I agree. It's like I think there was a lot of stuff going on in this book, and I wonder if we needed it all i mean who knows it's book one of a trilogy but um i thought the good stuff was kind of distracted by the other details and all the other characters and like oh this guy's the uptight like bodyguard type and this was the sickly woman who may have like sage like knowledge and then oh this is the you know bookish person and this is this person and you're like okay well like whatever these are the twins <laughs> it's like the twin characters and yeah. so you're like okay 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 like some of that can be fun when you've got the ensemble cast where they stand out like that but this did not have that these characters did not stand out like a dnd ensemble cast would it's like oh you've got the rogue and you've got the barbarian and then you've got the the witty person you got the the nerdy mage you know it's no you don't you just yeah. got like a bunch of people with long complicated names and <laughs> and they all are the same thing so it's like okay uh i guess i'll just follow along see what happens um but it all kind of pays off at the end i think the last thing i really want to talk about is the end where gideon sacrifices herself they unlock the secret to lichterhood of like oh you have to kill your like stab your cavalier in the heart and like just recycle their soul for power like for all of eternity (laughs) it's like Mm -hmm. it was like whoa okay interesting because till now they've formed this really strong bond and that was like part of the test and now it's like okay now kill them and that's how you reach lecterhood you know yeah that it's an interesting concept it it would have been like i mean I found the end to be very strong and satisfying, as I said before. But I guess you could also see it a little like a missed opportunity for drama mm. if we had a little bit more time. Where Big okay, time. the thing, yeah, the thing that Harark wants most in the world is to be elector, and mm. now she's developed this close relationship with Gideon. And in theory, Harrowhark is like this badass who is like would sacrifice people easily to reach her goals. But is she willing to do that to Gideon after they've gotten this close? Like that's some drama that yeah. maybe could have been interesting. How do we do that when we're in Gideon's perspective the whole time? I don't know, but... I don't know, that could have been some fun drama because as as you're saying, a lot of the fun is you get so close to this person and then you have to sacrifice them uh, and it's like, 
while Harrow and Gideon got so close, would she be willing to do that? Yeah, I don't know. It's could be interesting, but again, I liked the ending, so I don't want to. I don't know why right. I need to feel the need to present other <laughs> options with this book. <laughs> well, I had the same feeling, you know. I was like, this was great. Like, I, I like super bold from an artistic point of view to kill your titular main character, and I thought it was set up really well. And I thought, you know, it was well within the character's arc to do that. And I. I was really intrigued by the premise and I'm curious to see how you continue the series after this. You know, it did end with this interesting conversation between Harrowhawk and the Emperor, which, you know, so it's like, okay, well, this is, you know, starting something new, which I thought was very bold and exciting. So I want to make sure that, you know, give Tamsin praise for all of that. Always love it when an, an author's willing to break the mold a little bit. Um, but to me, it's like you're asking your main character to kill themselves, sacrifice yeah. themselves in like a horrible way. Like you're talking about using your soul as a battery. It's not like they made a point to say it's not even like a peaceful rest for the cavalier, you know? <laughs> it, it's like, and it's supposed to be like a betrayal. And so there's like a lot of drama in all of that. And then there's something about. Gideon willingly and almost forcing Harrowheart to become yeah. a lector. Like, that's interesting, you know? And I feel like we didn't really get to explore that. And we were so busy telling, like, irreverent humor and, and cursing that we forgot to, like, enjoy the juicy drama of, of this big payoff at the end. It's kind of just like, well, Gideon read the room, said some quippy line, and then killed herself. And you're like, oh, okay, like that's exciting but also it's like man so much juice left unsqueezed in, in that you know yeah that's that's well said charles i think it's sometimes sometimes with this book like the things that happened from a more zoomed out like us talking about this as an event that happened perspective <laughs> were like better in theory than execution in that mm -hmm. way like mm -hmm. stepping back and talking about like oh how about this reveal how about this like intense decision to sacrifice but then when you actually see the like moment it's, done, it's like oh that was abrupt i think there was some uh, uh you, you like to say meat left on the bone charles you're mm -hmm. really mixing it up by going the more uh, liquid route by saying well you always say juice with the squeeze I know. you know so i was like i guess i was channeling that <laughs> yeah and then i was like i guess i should say meat left on the bone because <laughs> i was us. like he just <laughs> said my line so we're, <laughs> we're switching up but uh, yeah i think there's a little bit of meat left on the bone but i don't want to take away from from the ending too much because no yeah it's fair it's we're it's a strong big ending. time yeah but it's just if it's a good thing to leave your audience wanting I have more. A like I can respect that bone to nitpick with oh. this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. excellent. Well done. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> it's, yes. Did did we nitpick a bit here? Yeah. Did some of the humor fall flat for us in particular? I think so. Was this overall an 
extremely ambitious effort that the author pulled off in a way that resonated for tons of people and has a lot of strong points that as well. So Mm -hmm. it's, yeah, it's a complicated uh, book, like a more complicated book than I thought it would be. And it left us with some complex mixed feelings, but uh, it's, uh, it's good to be, someone who has read this and be able to engage uh with others and talk to others who are super passionate about this book too because i uh, I, like i'm always big on uh, wanting to like stay abreast in the fantasy community in a way that like reading the gideon the ninth at at this point is is actually like important to do i think Mm -hmm. and because yeah, it's such a big part like look we threw this up on twitter or x and we put a poll out there that had christopher buhlman who's a like a darling of the fantasy community thanks mm-hmm. to the black tongue thief like it had one of his books on there it had stephen king on there and it mm-hmm. had this book gideon the ninth and on both instagram and twitter the polls were significantly in favor of you should read Gideon the Ninth over books by those other two. So it's a huge part of the community, especially online, as we've said. And like now at least we're we're part of the discussion and gotten our uh words out there on this one. Well said. And I'm like really interested in necromancy now too. So it's like let's go with that. Like it's a lot of successful in terms of things books going or on this book. Like as a real life hobby. Both? <laughs> <laughs> you have to actually sacrifice your podcasting partner and use them as a battery forever to, you know. Uh, gain well i'm hoping you'd (laughs) sacrifice yourself for me instead so i wouldn't have to make that choice that would be the nice thing to do (laughs) we've been on good terms a lot longer than harrow (laughs) and gideon have and i still not quite ready to sacrifice (laughs) myself and be a battery forever for you to reach podcast godhood that's a bummer (laughs) well i guess we're just not as close <laughs> friends talking fantasy godcast is just you and my like puppet body man dylan you're a necromancer of all these dead jokes <laughs> <laughs> keeping them animated yeah I'm doing my best well, I, I think that's how we know that we're nearing the end of this book discussion. Is there anything else we need to mention before we wrap it up? Mm, I think I think we said our piece. We're good, right? Yeah, I'm yeah. good. I'm good. Right. All right. Well, Di- that's it, guys. That's it. <laughs> Let's get that. <laughs> you, sweet, it seems like you're about to say something. <laughs> I was, but then I was like, you know what? I've said my piece here, so <laughs> can I always find something more to say? Usually, but we've been at it for a while here. We gave the mm-hmm. listeners a, a juicy discussion. <laughs> a, mm-hmm. a discussion. Yep, a nice uh, we, meaty we discussion. Meant much of the meat <laughs> off of the bone. Um, yep, yep, yep. Full cup of juice, ready to ready You know, to actually, Charles, this was the worst time for you to not use, uh, like, left a little meat on the bone 
for a freaking necromancy book. Like, this is the worst time for you to switch to the juice uh, <laughs> analogy that you possibly could have. But that's all right, Charles. Uh, you can't win That's them why all. you're here to pick up the pieces, you know? Mm. And uh, we got there eventually. We, we made Definitely. some bone jokes, which it was good. And... Um, <laughs> I, I think the only thing left to do is is kill this episode <laughs> so that we can <laughs> move on here. I, I think we'll just get that sweet touch of music pumping. But will we resurrect it for Harrow the Ninth? Who knows? <laughs> In the meantime, mm, let's get knows? that sweet, sweet outro music pumping, Charles. Well said. Here we go. Thank you, everyone, one and all, for listening to yet another very exciting episode of the Friends Talking Fantasy Podcast. If you like what you heard today, let us know over on the socials. That's at the FTF Podcast on Instagram and at the FTF Podcast with number one on the end for Twitter. Now, I don't know if they like what they heard today and they want to support the show even more than engaging with us over on social media. What can they do? Toss five stars to our podcast, which you can do over on Spotify. That's just two clicks over the top of the Friends Talking Fantasy podcast feed, and it helps us so much when you do that. You can also rate and review on Apple Podcasts. That means in that review, you can write nice stuff about us. And whenever you do that, it puts a smile on my face and presumably on Charles's face as well. But just listening is more than enough. Thank you so much for doing it. Just listening, guys. Always more than enough. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We appreciate you. And as always, go forth and conquer, friends.